Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. My guest today is Dr. Randall Johnson. Dr. Johnson is on the GCSS Board of Directors, and he's also a Gonstead Fellow. Early in his career, he became involved with the Monterey Bay Clinical Study Society, which eventually grew to become the Gonstead Clinical Study Society. He's also one of the founders and director of Tanaka Chiropractic Missions. Dr. Johnson was actually the first interview we ever did for this podcast, but due to technical difficulties, his audio was lost, and we were never able to bring you that conversation. Fortunately, we will remedy that today. So without any further ado, Dr. Randy Johnson. Hello, Dr. Johnson. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, hi, David. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's start off like we always do. <laughs> Can you tell us a little about how you got into chiropractic and how you got into Gonstead Chiropractic? Okay. Uh, well, I guess to, to make it as short and sweet as possible, but uh, as much as possible, I, I started out, um, I went to UC Davis studying biochemistry, and I was interested in researching the fundamental uh, physiology of life. So I, I did that. And one of the things that happened there um, is that I, in 1976, I graduated in 79. And in 76, I did a summer internship at the National Institutes of Health. And uh, that's where I met and spent a little time with Anthony Fauci. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting experience, not, not particularly motivating to continue in that path but um yeah he was researching waltz so his his uh, his own research at the time was he was researching the kind of the allergic response of pressure on the skin and 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 waltz um i thought that was kind of interesting that this guy has become such a uh, a huge uh, authority on <laughs> on on subjects that I, I don't think he really knows much about but in any case um, I was doing research on prostaglandins and, and um, inflammatory uh, in reactions, which turned out to be something that became important later. Um, and, and then I continued on and got my degree at Davis. And while I was there, I played football, had some football injuries, played football through high school, did a lot of skiing. After, after college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I'd go to graduate school, but I took a year off. I went up and worked in Alaska for summer worked in the salmon fisheries up there which was very hard work and physical work but a lot of adventure and then came back and um spent the winter skiing up at lake tahoe which continued to traumatize my spine it actually ended up um with bilateral sciatica and walking around kind of <laughs> hobbling like an old guy and thought i was probably gonna end up with having spine surgery but somehow got directed to a chiropractor and I, I was pretty skeptical. I, I, I went in there not expecting much, but it was interesting because the first time I felt an adjustment to my spine, it was like something went off in my, you know, deep awareness. And it was like, hey, how come nobody ever did this before? And uh, gradually I got better. And, and as I got, as I improved under care, I also um, started to, learn about the chiropractic philosophy and the neurology and which I had studied at Davis and I thought well how come nobody ever told me about this and this was kind of the missing link it was something that I had always been searching for uh, you know a way to help people get healthy rather than just uh, treat symptoms or cover up with, with drugs and, and so forth so um, that's what motivated me to apply to um, Chiropractic College, and I ended up going to Northern California Chiropractic College in in Sunnyvale, which later became Palmer, mostly because um, you know that's the area that I was from. I grew up in Los Gatos, uh, uh, California. So, I, so I went there, and at that time, Northern California College was kind of a wild and free place. It was kind of open to any technique and you know, it was interesting because chiropractic is, was at that time, and I, I think it to a degree still is very open to 
you know, innovation and what works. It's a pragmatic profession. And if you can find out, if you can figure out a way to help people, you know, it's, it's kind of welcome. And, and so one of, there were a lot of different techniques vying for students. And as I understand it, that's still the case on the campuses, but, um, uh, the, the Gonstead was one of the techniques and, you know, we were encouraged to go to the different techniques and at least get a introductory um, uh, lesson for each one. And and the Gonstead group there was a very strong group uh, that was mainly run by Ed Cremata and um, and and Lopes, Dr. Lopes. He he was they they were very brilliant young students and very dedicated to Gonstead and and they had a system that could be taught and it made sense. It was, it was, it made sense from a biomechanical point of view, a neurological point of view, and it was challenging. It, it was not too difficult to learn the basics of the system because it was logical and, and laid out very clearly, but it was also, but it was very challenging to learn the technique and that appealed to me. I, I, I like challenges. I like, um, you know, I've always been attracted to to um, trying to get good at something, and you know, I'm still trying to get good at it. It, it you know, Gonstead technique takes a lot of high focus and attention, and um, you know, we try to take into account so many factors to determine, you know, exactly where the subluxation is and what the and how to correct it. it. It's a it's a very challenging but very interesting and 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 logical technique. So that's that's how I got um, you know at least introduced to Gonstead. Yeah, and you got started. Um, we'll call it Providence <laughs> at a good time in a good location. And so you ended up at that time. There was just like the Gonstead community was starting to grow because previous to that, it really was all centered on Dr. Gonstead himself. So let's start with that. Dr. Gonstead got unique results, but he also had unique behaviors. So what was it about Gonstead that made him so successful that made people want to emulate what he did and, and do more of it? Well, you know, I, I never met Gonstead. He died in 1978. It was just a, a year or so before I started chiropractic. But the, the, the doctors that I studied under and the doctors that I, were my mentors, uh, especially Dr. Thornton, Dr. Nelson, Tanaka, Martin, they all studied with Gonstead. And, you know, the, the thing that I come up with with Gonstead is that he was just obsessed with chiropractic. And he, he probably worked 18 hours a day, almost seven days a week, just doing chiropractic. And he did that for like 50 years. And, and you know, anybody who's that dedicated to something is and, – and, and also has talent and as smart as Gonstead was – um, you're going to get results and you're going to reap the rewards. So, you know, part of it was, I think, him as a person, his charisma, his dedication, his obvious selflessness to his profession drew people to him. But also, you, you have to say that he built, a, you know, this huge clinic that inspired people. And he had, you know, the Caracol in. He had people flying in from all over the world to see him. And I think um, when you, when when do young doctors who were starting the profession would see that clinic and see what's possible, perhaps for them, it motivated them. Of course, they didn't really want to work eighteen hours a day. Uh, ultimately, very few did. Uh, or maybe none. I don't know. I don't know anybody else who, who works 18 hours a day, seven days a week on it. But, you know, it's interesting because uh, my son uh, graduated a few years ago from USC and his the commencement speaker at USC was Elon Musk. And he, he, he spoke about how to be successful in, in your career because they were graduating from USC. And he said, you just work 16 or 18 hours a day. <laughs> that was his formula for being successful. He said, if you work twice as much as everybody else, you'll go twice as far, twice as fast. So, um, and, and you know what's odd is Elon Musk comes from a long line of chiropractors. I don't know if you know that, but his, 
His, I think his great-grandmother was like the first female chiropractor in Canada. And his grandfather was a big chiropractor in Canada and then moved to South Africa. And that's why Elon Musk ended up in South Africa. And he has two uncles. And one of them is Scott Haldeman, who's a, who's a very uh, well-known chiropractor down in, uh, I think he's a professor at UCLA or something. So I don't know if that thinking of working 18 hours a day came from his chiropractic roots or not, but um, but that's what Gonset did, and he became a very motivational figure, and people loved him. I, I have yet to talk to anybody that has anything but good things to say about Dr. Gonset as a person. So he cared, he worked hard, he was dedicated, and that kind of um, that kind of purity of purpose seems to really uh, motivate people. Plus, he he, he he built a huge clinic, which was inspiring and motivating to to those doctors at the time. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, I, when I was early on, I had times when I would work six days a week. And when I was seeing patients that much, you start to develop an edge where you're adjusting just a little bit better and your diagnosis is a little bit better. You're just a little bit better at everything. And then I've had periods like actually when I was teaching at Life, just like one quarter of not adjusting anybody and I knew the edge was gone. Like I'd already lost it. I would set up on people and be like, I can do it, but it's not going to be my best. Like I just already knew. And I started thinking about sports and even like in music, when you're doing a lot of something, you start to develop this edge and you can feel it when you get that edge. And when you can also feel it when you lose the edge. And I think Gunstead was just working on the edge all the time. And I had heard stories that when they first wanted him to travel for the seminars, he didn't want to do it because he was afraid to have that many days without adjusting anybody which made me think he was aware that there was an edge there. And if he took too much time off, he was going to lose that edge. And so I think you're right that if people want to get good at this, you got to do it long enough and often enough that you get some of that edge. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, there, there's a tendency in the modern world to think that we should, uh, you know, kind of reap huge rewards with, with not, you know, I remember when I was at UC Davis and I was studying and I, everybody was working really hard, but the cool guys were the ones that uh, didn't look like they studied at all, but still got great grades. And um, that was kind of the ideal, you know, to not have to work very much, but get the rewards. And the reality is they were going in when nobody knew and studying like crazy, but they would pretend like they didn't have to study at all. and. Um, you know, it's a false system. The reality is if you want the rewards, if you want to be successful, you just have to work hard. You got to put in more hours. You got to put in more effort. You got to concentrate more. And if you can combine those three things, you're going to be hugely successful in whatever you do. Definitely those things will make you successful if you dedicate yourself to your technique and get people better. Because that's what I mean, that's what my patients, I'm sure your patients respond to. They get better. They get excited. They're so happy. They can't wait to tell their family or, or their friends or anybody else to come in and see you. And then you get a new case, which is interesting. And then you get to learn and find out how to solve that problem. And each time you do that, you get better and better at figuring out how to do that. And I think the other thing about Gonset is I think he had an incredible memory for detail. So. You know, when he had a, you know, a success or had a, even a failure in his practice, he would remember what he did or what he, you know, he would think about it. And then the next time he saw a case that was similar, he, he had learned from that and, and, and got more and more specific and more and more accurate. Then he would go, he would go to Lincoln College, I guess it's in Indianapolis, and he would dissect cadavers and dissect discs and learn you know, even more, how, you know, what he was really dealing with. And that, that, that right there to me shows another level of dedication that, um, you know, you don't see that much of really from clinicians. Most clinicians, I don't, I don't see too many of them going back to the schools and dissecting discs to figure out really how that, that all works. So uh, we could learn a lot from Gonstead from his behavior, his work ethic, his level of concentration, and his willingness to help not only his patients, but his students. 
Yeah. And speaking of that success, there were there was at that time when you were getting started, a group of doctors who wanted to expand like that to put more effort in outside of the office. And that eventually formed into the um, Monterey Bay Clinical Studies Society, which eventually formed into the Gonstead Clinical Studies Society. So can you tell everybody a little bit about how that from your experience and from what you know, talking to people who were there, um, how that formed and who the people were and how that how they got to start this little this little group that then grew into something much bigger. Okay. Yeah, the Monterey Bay Society, I think, was really kind of uh, centered around Dr. Richard Thornton. He was a, a, he's a brilliant chiropractor and student of Dr. Gonstead's. And at that time, he was getting really focused and dedicated to the Gonstead technique. And um, Charlie Martin was another, was a associate when he got out of Palmer, he went and associated with Thornton initially. Dr. Tanaka was also, he's in Watsonville, which is maybe a 45-minute drive from Monterey. And um, I think those were, those guys were the, the heart of the beginning of the Monterey Bay Society. And, and they basically said that at, when they started, there were a lot of doctors back then that were really interested and motivated and inspired by Gonstead. And they would have meetings of the local Monterey Bay, Monterey Bay Society of like 20 doctors sometimes. And they'd meet at each other's offices and they'd take turns once a month. They'd go, they'd meet, they'd go out to dinner, and then they'd go to the office. And the doctor that was hosting was responsible for uh, giving a, a talk or, or a lesson about that was Gonstead related. And usually it could it could be how to adjust or it could be case studies whatever the doctor found interesting. And so um, I think Richard Thornton was the first president of the Monterey Bay Society, which there's a little controversy as far as the actual dates of when it started. Uh, I just talked to Dr. Thornton uh, the day before yesterday, and he said that it started before Gonstead died, which was 1978. So that would be maybe 77 or something like that. Uh, although Dr. Martin thinks it didn't start until 1980 or so. But uh, in any case, it, it, that was ha- how it first started. And then um, based on the success they were having with that group, probably around 1980 or 80, somewhere between 80 and 82, um, Richard Thornton and Tom Sherman were kind of brainstorming uh, in the Caracal Bar, and they came up with the idea of forming the the Gonset Clinical Study Society, and they wanted to um, kind of expand it to a national level to develop local study groups all over the country, all over the world, maybe, and then also to do research, to fund research and to promote Gonset. And then, and the other thing was to develop, um, you know, status levels like the the uh, diplomate status so that when the students in it, this was in conjunction with the, the seminars with uh, uh, the Cox brothers who had the seminars at that time. And Alex uh, was on board with this. And it, the idea was that this would give students a chance to develop their technique. And then at a certain point they could uh, take a test and become a diplomate. And there would be, uh, opportunity for kind of uh, recognition for their level of um, a- uh, ability and expertise in the technique. And and so that's what's progressed and grown. I think the in- original kind of organizer was Claudia Onrig. And she was um, kind of the, a lot of the organizational capacity I know Richard was the first, Thornton was the first president of the GCSS, but um, I think Claudia Onrig really ran it and organized it and kind of did what Jeannie Taylor does now uh, for uh, the beginnings and really got the, the organization off the ground and really made it happen. And then it, it transferred to Linda Mullen, and then uh, now um, Jeannie Taylor is the, the executive director, and she does a great job. Uh, managing it and or helping organize the seminars and, and so forth. 
and that, and I came into it in '86 when I took over um, uh, Dr. Nelson's practice in Monterey. Okay, when we go back to those early days, um, it seemed like they were they were very heavily focused on research, which I think is interesting because around that time, late '70s, early '80s, there was almost like a pretty, well, there was a pretty strong anti-science sentiment in chiropractic where there was kind of this move to let's be more philosophical, let's be less scientific. And yet here's these guys saying, we're doing this thing, we're getting great results, let's dive into the science to see what it tells us. And so um, I know when I was in school, Stephen Tanaka was like the Rolodex of scientific studies, that if you want to know if there was a study on something and where to find it, he would know. And so they really got into that kind of thing. When you started with that group, what, how did you, what did you see in that with the whole science aspect that they were doing differently than a lot of other places in chiropractic. Yeah, they, you know, the, the chiropractic is a, is an interesting profession because it is kind of, uh, you know, out of the mainstream of healthcare, let's say. And at that time it was even more, uh, kind of marginalized. They, they were just coming off some of the, lawsuits against the AMA and they were just uh coming maybe that was still there going at that time I think it might have been hadn't been settled yet that um that the the, the lawsuits against AMA and so there's this kind of um kind of countercultural or uh counter authoritarian streak in chiropractic and um but but we wanted the chiropractors wanted to prove that what we were doing was authentic and valuable and and um, you know should be should gain credibility and and um, um, and acceptance and so you know there's there's different ways of looking at that you can say well we're just gonna go off and do our own thing and people who are into it can be into it. The other way is say, well, there is this thing called science and let's try to apply the scientific method to chiropractic and, and see what happens. And so that's, that's what these guys wanted to do. They believed in their technique. They saw the results clinically. They saw the results pragmatically. They, they, they were confident that what they were doing was, was helping people was working. They want to know why. And, and then there were a lot of claims, you know, this is where we get into trouble sometimes with chiropractic is we want to claim some kind of a result or an effect of the adjustment. And, you know, how do you prove that that really came from an adjustment or if it was just, uh, you know, happenstance that that particular, uh, you know, event occurred simultaneously or subsequently so this this was something we wanted to learn about that they wanted to learn about and so that's the way to do it you do some studies you do the research you try to find out um that and and i know dr there was a big uh push with dr chung ha su who's a professor i think at the university of colorado who did uh, nerve pressure uh, studies trying to determine how much pressure on a nerve would change the function of the nerve. And that that's always been a big part of the claim of chiropractic that has been in dispute. So that's what they were, they, they did a lot of research on that. Yeah. I remember going to seminars and, uh, and hearing from Alex, the, this concept of if you adjust one bone, if the patient gets better, you know, what did it. And if the patient gets worse, you know, what did it. Now you know what you should do again or what you should never do again. And coming from LACC, where we were taught to adjust everything on the patient and everything on the person next to them, that if you're moving that much stuff, then how do you really know what's made a difference and what hasn't? And that, that was always puzzling to me. And I was like, well, if what if we weren't even really taught about the scenario that you could adjust the patient and have them get worse? And yet I didn't have to be in practice very long before I had it happen. And then you go, well, now what? And so I went back to what I'd heard Alex say, that if I just adjust one thing, then I know it either made them better, made them worse, or did nothing. And that, to me, was a very scientific way of approaching chiropractic that just seemed, in my education, to be absent from the whole process. Uh, and I think that that, I don't know, revolutionary seems a little too uh, hyperbolic, but uh, it, 
it definitely made a big difference to realize that this is this is how you practice a clinical science is to be able to be in a room with a patient and know that what you did made them better or what you did made them worse or what you did had no effect at all. Um, and I, I, th I think that was a big, a big, well, I'll say revolutionary thing, uh, especially for those guys to be able to take that, quantify it, and then be able to share the concepts with other people that we've now learned when we do this, when a patient has this scenario and we do this one thing, this percentage of the time they get better because of this. And then when they don't get better, we also know why that might not be. So like in our brains, we have like this cat, this catalog of here's this basic scenario. 80% of the time you do this, it works. The 20% it doesn't works. Here's probably the caveat that caused that to happen. So now we know we're on a different, we're in a different box. And so you end up with all these patterns in your head. And that really the time spent in practice is just building up this catalog of patterns so that you start to recognize them. And that's the major advantage you have with years over a student or somebody who's brand new is that their catalog of patterns isn't quite so big or complex, really. Um, and these guys were taking that, quantifying it, and then sharing that knowledge so that people could grow that much faster. And really, I think that's what the GSS is still trying to do to this day. Oops. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, for me, when, you, when, when, I was starting out, when I was starting out as a student, the, the thing that I, I had to learn first was what not to do. And, uh, you know, finding out, oh, oh I don't want to do that. That was, that was a very important uh, learning curve because, um, you know, you don't want to make people worse. <laughs> right. So anyway, the, but, but the clinical, the clinical experience is so huge in chiropractic and, Chiropractic is about, you know, pragmatic results. I mean, if we don't, if we didn't, if chiropractic didn't get results, we wouldn't exist. So we have to get results. We have to see the results and we have to, and that takes, uh, you know, somewhat in our clinical experience, trial and error, find out, okay, I see this problem. I'm tempted to do this, but I know that's going to make them worse. So I'm staying away from that. And, and then, Slowly, you build up, like you said, those understandings of the patterns. I I know that's one thing I've really found as my years have gone by. Is uh, I look back and I kind of cringe in the first five years. Um, I had a lot of flare-ups and a lot of people, uh, you know, getting worse, uh, and I'd have to find some way to, you know, keep them around long enough to figure out how to fix them. And usually, I would. But uh, as I've gotten older and more progressed, and you know, I, I that that rarely happens anymore. And now I, I I I know at least I know how not to hurt them, and uh, I can I can usually get them better pretty quickly now. So it's it's uh, and that's all getting better at Gonstead, having more experience, and 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 learning the techniques. Yeah, when I was in my first year or two of practice, I would say um, I had a lot of free time, so I would stare at X-rays. And I would look at the x-ray and I would say to myself, okay, on this patient, if I move this bone, how's that going to affect the other vertebra? And then if I move this other bone, how's that going to affect the other vertebra? And I would try to anticipate on a given spine, how each potential adjustment would cause different things. And some scenarios would be good and some scenarios might be catastrophic. So I definitely don't want to do that. because So even like understanding why you wouldn't want to adjust a spondy on the spondy was thinking, well, if I did that, how would that affect the rest of the spine? And you can start to visualize how that would be so detrimental and you don't want to do that. And I just spent a lot of time doing that, thinking that if I can start to see it in my head, then when I've got that patient in front of me, I can see their spine even before I've seen an x-ray. And I can already anticipate what's going to make things better and what's going to make things worse. And those kind of practices, we all have to go through development. But as, they, as you develop those abilities, it seems to play dividends down the road that that's how you become the person who gets good results most of the time when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it you know, and, and it, you know, staying focused and staying dedicated to the, to the basic technique and learning to be more and more and more specific and accurate with your adjusting and, and less forceful is a huge component of that so as we as we learn to be more accurate and more uh, and less forceful really I mean the, the right amount of force for each person 
but every single different person is an individual. And we, you know, we see patients from like newborns all the way. I have a patient who's 104 years old. And, uh, you know, that's a vast difference in the, in the body that we're dealing with. We have to be specialists of the spine, but kind of generalists in many ways, because we're dealing with, uh, you know, small children, which is completely different. And then teenagers and then all the way through their life. And it's interesting to see how quickly people, you know, in different stages of their life respond to chiropractic. Of course, the children are, you know, they just respond so quickly. It's, 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 uh, it's almost magical. And then as people get older and older and older, then the, the chronicity develops and then that becomes more and more difficult, more and more. It's just, you know, it turns into more of a maintenance issue to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've uh, we mentioned Dr. Tanaka a few times, but Dr. Tanaka started doing mission trips, um, as I recall, primarily to El Salvador when he started. Uh, but that, since then, it grew to other countries and um and, and that eventually those mission trips turned into Tanaka Chiropractic Missions, which I know you help run. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with those mission trips and how that kind of evolved from uh, being a, uh, I don't know if it was willing or unwilling participant into now running the, running the thing and, and doing a lot of unique trips that you take? Yeah, um, well, uh, I've known I'm I'm Dr. Tanaka since... Um, 1986 and and you know starting out with those uh those meetings and he's a brilliant chiropractor and very dedicated to research he he spent a lot of time going up to uc san francisco and uc santa cruz you know pulling pulling research articles and at some point he got motivated to go down to central america i think it was right after the Civil War was over in El Salvador, and he started going down there. He he started going down there to help the. I'm not hearing you very well. I don't know what's going on with the he, audio. He told me the first time there was 1993. Yeah, well, that's that's right when they ended. Right when they ended, yeah. So. Uh, he went down there. He had a lot of courage. He has a, he has tremendous courage and and uh, self possession. So he went down there, helping the the people who were suffering. And he st- people would go kind of informally with him. I think Juan Juan Campos was also involved in that back then because he's from El Salvador originally. That's right. And uh, they would they would go down there. And they would bring different doctors who wanted to go. I think you went down there. And um, it, it was, you know, it's just a very selfless effort to help humanity. And that's what Dr. Tanaka is all about. He, he studied Spanish. He's fluent in Spanish now he, just so that he could do that. Uh, he's an incredible human being. And, and I, I saw that I was still kind of, working hard in my practice and my family was growing. I didn't have the time or the the inclination to go down there at the time. But as time went on, I built a desire to go. And I started going down there, in, I think, in the early 2000s, maybe 2005 or so. And, um, and I think that trip, it was just me and him. We went to Guatemala. And, um, you know, I had an incredible experience seeing maybe 100 or 150 patients a day. It, it was challenging. We didn't have x-rays on most of them, but it was a great experience and, and um, uh, a lot of fun too, just to experience the culture of Guatemala and experience the people and, and see the kind of uh, appreciation that they had for what we offered them. And uh, so I did that with him informally for several years. And then about five years ago, uh, he got really ill and uh, ended up having uh, lost his kidneys. His kidneys uh, developed some kind of a disease and he he had to go on dialysis. He couldn't go on the trips anymore. And I, I felt that that was kind of a shame 
because I enjoyed going down there with him to Guatemala. And, um, and he was still, at that time, he was still leading trips to El Salvador also. But then when he finally uh, couldn't go anymore, I decided to start this group, Tanaka Chiropractic Missions. And um, uh, I, I started that with uh, Dr. Ree um, and uh, Dr. Jen Liu. And they and I started to kind of formalize the organization, and we decided to name it after Dr. Tanaka kind of as a, as a legacy for him. We really didn't know if he was going to survive uh, his problem because he, he went through several very close calls. But um, I just saw him last night. He's doing great. He had a kidney transplant now, and um, he's been in practice the whole time. I, I don't know how he does it, but he, he was on dialysis for about four years. He had to get dialysis three times a week. And he, he just keeps plodding along. He's still laughing and smiling, and he's still talking about doing research and all of the uh, interests he has with chiropractic. And so we've been doing the, the um, Tanaka Chiropractic Missions now for about five years. Um, we've had trouble, of course, in the time of COVID. I think the last two years we've been pretty much thwarted. We were planning, I would have just been coming back from Guatemala right now, but um, the uh, Guatemala closed the borders to anybody who hasn't had um, enough shots. And uh, uh, the participants that we were going to go with, uh, Dr. Uh, Pam Troxel was, it has been instrumental now. She joined the board and she's, um, she was leading this group down to Guatemala that I, you know, I was going to be going with. And, uh, but we, we had to cancel because of the, the, um, requirement of vaccinations, so-called vaccinations. And, um, the other thing that I've done is, uh, and, and attempting to integrate trips down to Easter Island, which has been uh, quite a, a wonderful experience for me. And, and I've gone there twice and, and, uh, treated the people on Easter Island, uh, and they they are incredibly uh, uh, grateful for the chiropractic care down there. And um, I've gotten to know uh, the the head of their archaeology down there, Sonia Heoa Cardinale. She's a good friend and uh, incredible personality in person. And um, so we've spent quite a bit of time together. And and she's uh, you know showing me parts of the island that most people don't get to see. And then I spent also went to Italy with her. She, she was doing a, some, some touring around Italy and giving speeches. And that's when I got to go stay with the Thor Heyerdahl family up in Northern Italy. And uh, that was quite a, a, an adventure for me because Thor Heyerdahl, of course, was one of the early, um, you know, pioneers of, I guess you'd call it, of, of Easter Island, wrote his book um, um, about it, and uh, he wrote, of course, Contiki, that's the one he's most famous for, sailing across the South Pacific in a raft in 1947 <laughs> with nothing but a you know, shortwave radio. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then I got to meet the Pope and shake his hand, that was, that was interesting. I'm not, I don't, don't have to be Catholic, but it was quite an honor to be able to do that, so you know these kinds of of um, mission trips and giving without necessarily any real expectation in return it is really an incredible experience, and it's it's something that I think every chiropractor should uh, have that on their bucket list at some point is to go on a trip, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to. We're planning to do the to do the. We were going to go to. Panama, I have a connection in Panama, but then they close their borders to, you have to have not only two vaccinations, but the booster to even consider going to Panama right now. So um, we're hoping that's going to be lifted. The mandates hopefully will be lifted and, and maybe in the fall we'll be able to go to uh, Guatemala with Dr. Troxel. Very cool. Uh, yeah, my first time going with Dr. Tanaka, I went to El Salvador in 98 with him, and then again in 99, again in 2000, and then my last time was 2007. And the progression I noticed is my first time going, 
Um, I don't even know what I thought I was going to experience. I think maybe I thought, oh, it'll be a chance to get my hands on some people and I'll learn some stuff, not knowing I was going to get thrown into seeing 100 patients a day. And these are not patients like patients with low back pain. These are patients who are like seriously ill and you're expected to fix them with chiropractic. And I was, um, I think I was just entering clinic in school. And so I was not really the guy for that job. Uh, but I learned a ton there and it, it inspired me enough to want to go back. So um, if we go to like 2007, my last time going, by then I had been in practice for seven years. Uh, I knew a little more what, about what I was doing and I got an opportunity and I really went with the attitude of, I know what I'm going to see and I want to be able to help as many of them as I possibly can. And so um, I got the chance to see some really unique things. I think I've told you before, I had a patient who had been shot and the bullet entered the front of his right shoulder and exited just to the right of his spine, but he was completely paralyzed in his left hand. And I thought, well, that's so weird. Obviously the bullet didn't sever the nerve. So what happened? And it occurred to me as the bullet was passing through that wave of energy coming off had pushed the bone. So he probably either had a PLS or a PRI and that that was producing nerve pressure that was cutting off the arm. And so the first time he came in, he showed me how it was totally dead. And his way of demonstrating it was there was an old, old fashioned phone sitting on the desk with the little receiver on top. And he was showing me how he could not grip it and he couldn't pick it up. So I saw him twice a day for the whole week. And by the end of the week, he came in and he was like, Mira, Mira. And he grabbed the receiver and he picked it up and held it to his ear to show me that he could now use his left arm. And so that kind of thing was like, I've never seen anything like that in the United States. I don't expect I ever will. Um, I had another patient who, she was a dancer and they were dancing on those hard cement floors they have in El Salvador that are just concrete. And he dropped her straight on her head. Um, and instead of taking her to the hospital, they knew we were there and they requested to come see us instead. And so I adjusted her, it took two adjustments and she was great and all fixed up. And they were so thankful saying, if we had gone to the hospital, we don't even know what would have happened. And so it's those kind of experiences that I think make it a very unique thing. It, it is good for learning. It's good for training. But I think that that maybe is a naive thought that I had just starting out that really it's about going and helping these people. Because in El Salvador, they explained to me that they don't have a lot of good doctors of any kind and that the best doctors in El, in El Salvador come from Cuba. And yet if you come from the United States and you're a doctor, you just immediately trump everybody, even if even as a chiropractor, you trump everybody. So it was like, okay, so if there's an American doctor here and somebody's sick, we need to take them to see them. And so in many ways, you kind of feel like a rock star when you get there because they're lined up, they're waiting for you. The first time I went in 98 as a student, I'm walking in and there's probably, I don't know, there's probably 100, 200 people waiting for us to get there. And as soon as we walk in the gates, they all stand up and start clapping. And I, and I was like, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> what you're about to experience uh, because I don't have those skills. Um, but it was just amazing that way. Like they were so appreciative of what we were coming to bring. And I almost felt guilty right off the bat. At, I don't know if I can bring what you really want to have brought. So uh, it's, it's definitely a, a, an interesting experience. And I think it, it's a different experience depending on where your experience level is and what you're able to do to help them. But I'm so glad that they continue to go on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the appreciation and love that you get down there is is just uh, off the charts. And exactly uh, when I the first time I went down there and, and we walk in and everybody stands up and claps for us. And uh, then we leave for lunch and everybody just sits there and waits. And an hour later, we come back and they're like clapping. We're back. Uh, it, it was really it's really quite a. Uh, such a different experience and such a profound experience. And of course, we all have those stories because we see patients down there that we would never be able to see here. And then we can really see the power of chiropractic and the, and the, you know, what can happen when you have somebody come in and they, they're, you know, in a wheelchair and, you know, in a short time they're walking out and don't need the wheelchair there's all kinds of stories, all kinds of experiences, but, you know, we, you just have to kind of experience it to really understand what it's like. And um, like I said, I, I would encourage any chiropractor to, to look into it and participate. And we try to make it fun also um, because what we do is we go there uh, usually on a Thursday or Friday night uh, or Friday morning rather. And, um, that first weekend, we we try to do something kind of touristic, uh, 
and then we um, set up the clinic for Monday. We work our ass off all week. Um, it's usually get there at eight o'clock in the morning and work until the last patient is done, which could be anywhere from six to, I've worked till eight or nine o'clock at night. I felt like Dr. Gonstead, <laughs> like how he did this every day for 50 years. I don't know how he did that, but, um, uh, and, and then you, you do that all week. And by the end of the week, uh, you know, you have, uh, we have a little dinner celebration on Friday night and then we have a Saturday, usually a fun celebration event. I've done anything, everything from climbing volcanoes to going to these crazy am amusement parks down there that are pretty scary <laughs> to participate in. And usually Dr. Tanaka is the guy that does the craziest, uh, stunts on those <laughs> and uh and then we uh fly home on um uh, sunday night so it's it's a it's pretty pretty uh quick and and to the point we work hard we play hard and we get it done and, and we try to keep the costs to a level that uh is very affordable um for everybody um to to go so it's been a great and very rewarding experience to do that. And people, like you said, like you said, that it is amazing. It, as an American doctor, you just, you're like a rock star. You Everybody wants to see you. Yeah, and it's all the better when you can deliver the results, <laughs> which I couldn't do the first time. But yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun when you can give the results to them and have them just be like, wow, that's amazing. Um Right now, if, if if everything was up and running and you were doing everything, what countries are, would you currently be going to if you were if you were able to do it right now? Well, uh, for sure Guatemala and uh, for sure Panama. Now I have a very good contact there, who, and I think we can really set up some good uh, clinics in Panama and and uh, Easter Island. Of course, uh, I want to. I'm really chomping with a bit to get back there and. And, and connect with uh, my friends on Easter Island. And, um, you know, beyond that, we've, I've talked about going to Africa. We've had a little bit of trouble getting connections in Africa. We were going to go to Tanzania, but they wanted to have um, a medical doctor uh, lead the trip. And, uh, yeah, uh, we, we, so we kind of, backed off of that we want to we want to keep it chiropractic and keep it led by chiropractors so um you know we'll have to we're going to continue to research uh, uh africa so uh you know some countries have um chiropractors it's interesting when i went to easter island it was a little bit of a challenge because they do have chiropractors that are licensed in chile and um it was a kind of a funny story because I got invited to go to Easter Island, which is 2,500 miles off the coast of Chile. And they're kind of like uh, a little bit autonomous, you know, they really are, they're kind of over, they're, they, they're politically, they have political oversight, Chile does, but the islanders pretty much run their island. And um, when I, the first time I went down there, they wanted me to submit all my licenses and stuff, and then it would get sent to Valparaiso for approval. And I'm like, going, I don't know how this is going to work out. So I get there, and they go, oh, do you have all your licenses? And I go, yeah, I can get them. So I got them faxed down there. It was difficult because it, it wasn't – the connections out there were really remote. Easter Island is the most remote inhabited place on Earth. Um, the, the next close – closest place that anybody lives is um, 1,100 miles away. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we got my licenses and we, we sent them to Valparaiso and we were seeing patients Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday at noon, the gal that was helping us over there said, oh, you got to stop treating patients. I go, why? He goes, well, because the, the, in Valparaiso, they said, you're not licensed to do chiropractic in Chile, so you can't see patients. So we had a meeting with the mayor uh, there on Easter Island, and um, we talked, and we had a great meeting. He's a really wonderful man, and um, he got edu he's educated in California. He's very, you know, he, we could speak perfect English with each other, which was helpful. And um, 
So after we talked for about an hour, I go, well, what should I do? And he goes, oh, go back and see the patients. And I go, well, I don't want to get you in trouble with the, the people in Chile. And he goes, oh, he goes, oh, that's all right. I'm always in trouble. <laughs> Just go back and see the patients. They want to see you. Because everybody was like calling him early. He had like a hundred phone calls like, well, you got to let that guy come back here. We need him to do chiropractic for us. So he, he kind of had no choice, I guess. And, uh, but he, he, he turned out to be a, a great friend, and he's he, a great supporter. So after that, I've had no problems, and uh, I guess they just kind of uh, look the other way or something. But we, we, we can go there and see patients on Easter Island. Uh, there's about 5,000 Easter Islanders. Hmm. That's a lot to and, see. <laughs> yeah, they can. We, we, I've seen them in several locations yeah I, I i see maybe about a hundred a day there okay yeah that's yeah that's that's pretty good um yeah there's like? there's probably uh, room for one or two other chiropractors to to see patients there we'll go. do you take students to all those places or is easter island one where you just take doctors yeah, in Easter Island so far, I've just gone by myself. So I'm hoping to take at least one or two other doctors there next time I go. In Guatemala, we take uh, one student for each doctor that goes. So we try to have kind of a mentoring relationship with the students. If we have students, we have a doctor with them to kind of help them and to help mentor them and give them any answer any questions or help them with any difficult cases um, so in guatemala it's one doctor and one student and i think in panama it'll be the same way okay i have a connection in uh in africa and they have a hospital so i can contact them and see if maybe set something up that way you can get to africa where, where in africa um togo Togo. Okay. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who's also got a hospital. He's a surgeon and he uh, is in Kenya. So um, that could be an interesting um, combination of events. Maybe we can get into one or one or more of those places. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a fun conversation talking about a little bit of history, but then also the future. So thanks again for joining me. Okay. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it. You bet. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Johnson for joining me today. You can find Tanaka Chiropractic Missions at tanakachiromissions.org. That's T-A-N-A-K-A chiromissions.org. The Gonstead Extravaganza is just a couple months away, so make plans now to be there. The Gonstead Club at Life University is also doing a winter symposium next month. If you are anywhere near Life University, be sure to check that out as anyone's welcome. Well, I hope you learned something valuable this week. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.